TED Audio Collective. One thing you might not know about me if you haven't visited my home is that I love art. Art history was one of my favorite classes in high school, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate walking the streets of New York and seeing amazing street art or the wonders that are in galleries and scraping up my pennies to purchase a great piece that speaks to me. So I recently bought a new piece of art that brings me so much joy. It's by Tyler Mitchell. You might have heard of him or seen his work. In 2018, he was the first black photographer to shoot the cover of American Vogue. And who did he photograph? Beyonce. Well, the piece I purchased was a shot from a video installation he did called Idyllic Space. It shows a young man on a swing, about to leap off from the perspective of someone standing beneath him. Can you envision that? Imagine you're a kid swinging as high as possible on the playground and someone's taking a picture of you from below. I got this piece partially to inspire more of that playfulness in my life and partially because it's from the perspective of an artist I appreciate. But purchasing this piece also made me think about the business side of art especially the economics of being an artist today. It's hard work. I love that Tyler Mitchell is being recognized internationally for his amazing talent, but for many artists also creating groundbreaking work, this isn't the case. So how do we financially support creatives, especially while they're still here doing their incredible work? I'm Madupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Our speaker today is Swizz Beats, a Grammy Award-winning music producer, hip-hop artist, DJ, and entrepreneur. In this talk, Swizz explains the importance of revolutionizing the way artists do business and are compensated for their work. He shares some of the steps he's taken to help fellow creatives thrive, including a new commission system for galleries and a roving art fair that gives artists 100% of their sales. Then after the talk, as a little treat, I've invited Allie Ginniger, the person who sold me my beloved Tyler Mitchell piece, to talk about the changing tides in the art world and the relationship between business and art. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for this show comes from Economist Education. TED Business listeners know we've discussed how businesses can drive solutions to social problems, which requires understanding and presenting your data effectively. And Economist Education has a new course on data storytelling and visualization. 
Economist Education provides online executive education courses that last about two to six weeks. They're designed to empower business professionals to thrive. It covers everything from international relations, sustainability, critical thinking, and more. The courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who share their insights. Economist Education is a great way to stay ahead in your career, and I have a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash tedbusiness. Enter our promo code TEDBUSINESS at registration. This offer ends on March 31st. Don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash tedbusiness and use promo code TEDBUSINESS at registration. Through conversations with investors and entrepreneurs, Unseen Upside by Cambridge Associates explores the human impact of investing. Season four focuses on exciting healthcare advancements, promising to improve outcomes and create resilient, patient-centric systems, blending technology and compassion. Meet the minds behind innovation shaping the future of medicine, from drug discovery to the role of AI. Uncover the Unseen Upside, available now. Having some type of support is very necessary when you're creative. You know, there has to be something uh, that's fueling that creativity, that's fueling that fire that you have inside. My love for music and creativity starts way back, way back, back in the South Bronx where I grew up, building 700, apartment 2E. I would go outside and all I would hear is music. You go around to the back park, the DJs are playing, it's a basketball game going on, but then you would look at the handball court, and that handball court would have an amazing graffiti mural. I don't know if it's from Keith Haring or Fab Five Freddy. I was instantly attracted to the creative. Music has been my therapy uh, since day one. Anytime I'm, I get stressed out, I go to the arts, I go to creativity, I go to music. Music make people feel hugged. People feel loved. And then I remember one of my uncles saying, you should get into producing. I'm like, what's producing? You know, it started as a family-owned business because Rough Riders was created by my family. It gave you DMX, it gave you Eve, it gave you Drag On, it gave you the locks. I've gotten every accolade in music that one can get. It just came to the point where it's like, you know what? I'm no longer gonna have fun with this unless I'm able to give back. You know, the Dean Collection started for me to create a museum for my family and our name. Something that my kids would have to be responsible to pass through generations. I said, wait a minute, the Dean Collection is not just for the Dean Collection. The Dean Collection is for everyone. There's some galleries now, places you walk in, if you don't have 50,000, there's nothing to talk about. And I felt that a lot of people was using that as an excuse to exit art. They feel that art is only for rich people. Whoa, we gotta stop this, we gotta fix this. And that's what made me and my wife say, you know, we have to create an entry point to the younger generation that didn't understand the art world, didn't have that seat at the table. And then we started, no commissions. It's a big event. You got 30 something thousand RSVPs a night. The drinks are free, the food is free, the concert's free, the education is free. And I feel that education should be free. We went to Shanghai, we went to London, we went to Berlin, we did it right in my, my backyard in the South Bronx. You can come into No Commissions and get something for a couple of bucks or a couple of hundred thousand. There, there's a tear for every person that have love for art. 
And what we're doing is something totally different from a gallery. The artists keep 100% of the sales. But what about after the no commissions? How can you sustain? How can you move forward without having to be trapped to sell your soul? I was a part of the sale with my brother, Sean Diddy Combs. The $21 million purchase, which made Kerry James Marshall the highest selling African-American living artist to today. I'm like, man, like you just broke the record. And the artist was like, yeah, I don't know whether to be happy or to be sad. He first sold that work. It was under 100,000. So imagine a work that you made for under 100,000 is now being sold for 21 million. And you have to sit home and watch this. And you couldn't even participate 5%. When you look at it, I'm a producer, I'm a songwriter. Every time it's played on the radio, I get paid. Every time it's played in a movie, I get paid. Every time it plays, period, I get paid. Visual artists, they only get paid once? How? When Paintings are sold and traded multiple times, and that's that artist's lifetime work that other people are making 10, 15, sometimes 100 times more than the artist that created it. So I created something called the Dean's Choice where if you're a seller or a collector and you're bringing your work into, let's say, Sotheby's, there's a paper that's there that say, hey guys, you know, this artist is still living. You've made... 300% on your investment by working with this artist. You can choose to give the artist whatever you wanted to sell. I think that even if five people did it, it'll start to change everything in, in the arts. And this is happening in Europe already. It happens in the music industry. It's called publishing. And artists are able to survive, musicians are able to survive years after years off of the residual income of their publishing. So how can we take something that brings creatives together and celebrate each other. Myself and Timberland have been working on this idea called Versus for about three years now. Then this trying time came and everybody started going to social media to express themselves. So what we did was I played my top songs, he played his top songs, and we went on Instagram Live. <laughs> you having fun? This is so good for the culture, let's go. A lot of people like to say battle. We pulled back off of that word battle because we're battling enough in the world today. We call it an educational celebration. I think we're on our ninth or 10th one. Um, me and Timberland started out with 20,000 people. As of uh, yesterday, 750,000 people in one uh, room. So we have this thing called the versus effect. And the versus effect is what happened to the artist after they contribute to Versus. We can go to the Babyface and Teddy Riley. They both went up millions of views. Both of their songs re-entered the charts. And then we look at the First Ladies Versus, and both Erica Badu and Jill Scott have seven positions in the top 20 charts. This is the Versus effect. You know, billions and billions and billions of impressions. This is something I've never seen before. And I felt that these artists are getting their flowers today, which is a great thing, why they can smell them. This is personal for me because many a times I've been counted out. I've been hot and cold a hundred times. You still have to understand the business 
as an artist to elevate to your level that you deserve to be. Because most creative, we're, we're very emotional. We're very, um, let somebody else handle that. I want to stick to this. But not only creativity is key, education is key, which is the reason why I went back to school to sharpen my pencil uh, in my mid-30s. We have to know our business, but it's going to take us digging in a little deeper and pulling out the knowledge that we need to prepare ourselves for this world that's waiting to take advantage of the creatives. Then we can make better choices. Then we can end that conversation of artists dying poor. If we're not protecting the arts, we're not protecting our future, we're not protecting this world, creativity heals us. If there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of enjoying alcohol, it's with Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works: when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night. Drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/tedbusiness to get 15% off your first order when you use Ted Business at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/tedbusiness and use the code tedbusiness at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors and the problems they bring? Like employees missing bills because of shorted paychecks, managers taking the heat from angry employees about those shorted paychecks, HR and payroll teams clocking late hours to correct timesheets, expense mistakes, missing overtime, and sick days. All of that is so unnecessary. Pump the brakes on payroll errors for good by putting employees in the driver's seat. With Paycom's Betty, employees do their own payroll. Betty identifies errors and guides employees to fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong, and who knows when their pay is wrong or right better than employees. So why not let them fix payroll problems before they become problems? When you get payroll precision every time, unnecessary payroll hassles become, well, unnecessary. Manage the process to make payday right for everyone with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com/soundrise. That's paycom.com/soundrise. Hi, Allie. It's so good to see you again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Alexandra Ginniger, and I'm the studio director for artist Nina Chanel Abney. That's great. And when I met you, you were working at a gallery where you represented artists. Is that correct? Yes. I really launched my career as the studio manager for Wageshi Mutu 
who's another phenomenal artist. But after working with Wageshi for about four years, I realized that I wanted to do what I was doing with her with a multitude of artists. So that's why I decided to enter the gallery world. And I was working in galleries for about seven years. In those seven years, a great deal has changed within the art world, which Mm -hmm. partially informed my decision to return to working with one singular artist and towards this career trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, when I first started working in the art world, it was honestly very rare to find a gallery that might represent one Black artist. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had many conversations with gallerists and dealers, really imploring them to look more closely at so many incredibly and uniquely talented Black artists only for my words to fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is all incredibly discouraging. But then something happened, something shifted. And black art was not only looked at, but really became promoted. Um, you know, it became the art world trend. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who have been actively participating and supporting since before this time, of course, the word trend is not ideal. Um, so it's kind of like now that we have the space to express ourselves, how do we maintain and make it more than just a trend? Yeah. And tell me, what do you think, when did this trend actually start? I mean, people might think it's the, um, racial reckoning in 2020, but it was before Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it was definitely before 2020. Um, you know, I think it became clear that there were standout artists, artists Mm -hmm. such as Carrie James Marshall, um, who was Beats does mention in his TED talk, not only was an artist like Carrie just having incredible gallery exhibitions and museum shows, but also his auction records were really exponentially exploding. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of galleries and museums started to consider, huh, who's the next one? And through that, I think more and more people really started looking at Black arts, which of course is incredibly necessary. And way long overdue, but it's just a question of how that art is being looked at. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think many artists' work is, many Black artists in particular work, is now being viewed by certain collectors merely as a commodity, something to buy and resell at a profit, and uh, not really necessarily as something that needs to be consistently supported for perpetuity. What are some things that people who are unfamiliar with the art world should know about it? Yeah, well, I think the art world from the outside can be viewed as this exclusive place. In reality, participating in the art world, viewing art does not have to be. Wherever you're located, just go online and do a little bit of research about the gallery spaces near you, the museums near you, see what shows are opening up, and go physically see the work. I think that's really critical to connect with it and get a sense of your own taste, what speaks to you, what you like. Galleries, although they can be intimidating, are free for everybody to enter. Mm -hmm. Openings are generally open to the public, so you can go and meet the artists themselves. I would say really just don't be intimidated to go in and ask questions. Mm -hmm. It's true. Some spaces might respond a little more rudely than others, but it's your right to be there. You know, Nina's exhibition at Lincoln Center and Mm -hmm. Wagashi Mutu's sculpture exhibition at Storm King. These are all in the public domain. These are all public art. 
And so I think a lot of artists are really interested in that component as well, bringing the art outside of these white walls and how can we access the public and grant accessibility towards the art world, making it less exclusive. That makes a ton of sense. Um, What part of Swiss Beats talk resonated with you the most? So I really liked what he spoke about in terms of artists having royalties from resale. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the issues with black art in particular being so commodified and, you know, viewed as kind of a quote unquote trend is that a lot of collectors might buy these young black artists work at, you know, moderate price so to speak and then a year later can sell the work at auction for a hundred times the price if not more and the artist is seeing zero percent of that resale so it really does make it feel a little icky Mm -hmm. and and really commodified you know it's Mm -hmm. there's a lack of care for the person who's actually putting out this creative output um so you know i think what Swizz was talking about in terms of how do we secure those resale rights for artists is really critical. Do you think it's going to take off? I mean, what are some of the challenges? Artists for decades have been trying to get resale. Um, You know, several really huge artists tried to make into law that they should get a certain percentage of resale from auction Mm -hmm. houses. And that was completely knocked down. Yeah. So at this point, I think it's up to the entities and the private citizens who are selling this work to really make an informed decision to do the yeah. right thing. Yeah. You know, auction houses are in a unique position. They could step up and mandate mm. that living artists get a percentage of their resale. And the people selling the work, too, like Swiss suggested. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also a lot of talk now about blockchain technology in terms of essentially having a digital stamp on artwork that guarantees the artist a percentage of future resale. And, you know, people often think of NFTs specifically in this space, Mm -hmm. which is a digital artwork in and of itself. But this blockchain technology can also be attributed to the sale of a physical artwork too. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's all a really new space, but I think it's something in the right direction towards granting artists more autonomy over their own markets. I think that's that's great and so important. Um, when I was a student at Harvard Business School, they had Carrie Mae Weems's photography on the walls. And it was my first introduction to her, and I thought her work was incredible. And given that this is TED Business, I'm curious what you think organizations need to do more of to promote art and artists? Um, I think there is a lot to be learned from the way artists express themselves. And oftentimes, artists aren't just talking about art. (laughs) You know, artists are talking about social justice, about what's happening in the world today, Mm -hmm. about politics. Mm -hmm. And I think that by engaging this dialogue, this creative dialogue, corporations can maybe think differently about how they're approaching things as well. Uh, So I think just being open to looking at art, to bringing artists in to speak with their organizations and companies, um, you know, maybe even showing the art in, in some offices or in 
or bringing the people in the offices to the museum, you know, um, to kind of gain a different perspective. Mm -hmm. We have some executive education courses here where we teach museum leaders core business topics, you know, a refresher and leadership and strategy and negotiation and things like that. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like that space needs more of? I really believe that in order to open the doors for a multitude of artists, art world institutions need to self-assess and earnestly prioritize diversity on the board and staff level mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, it really needs to be a change and an active push on all sides of the art world. And we gratefully are seeing that slowly uh, with the founding of such places as the Black woman-owned Nicola Vassell Gallery and Sierra Britton Gallery, among many others that are popping up, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as with organizations such as the Black Trustee Alliance for Art Museums. Hmm. So I think, you know, it is really critical for these sometimes nonprofit spaces such as museums that you mentioned to have this business acumen. Yeah. But also to impart everything to the artists as well. That makes a lot of sense, that the things that we're seeing in the world in organizations broadly need to also Mm -hmm. be addressed in our art spaces. Yes, definitely. Well, listen, Allie, I just want to thank you so much for spending time today. It was such a joy to talk to you, and thanks for sharing your insights with our listeners. It really makes a big difference and means a lot. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Kiara Powell and fact-checked by Matias Salas. Special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week.